This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. <laughs> I am a little bit sick, but that doesn't mean I'm not excited about this current episode with guest cookbook author Julia Tertian. Man, we have some good chats about like queerness in chefdom and food. I really like this person and um, I hope you like this episode. Julia, take it away. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Well, I always have folks that are on the podcast introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. I am Julia Tertian. Um, I am a cookbook author and uh, yeah, I love food and I love people. <laughs> are you also, are you also a chef? Is that what you call yourself? Like, what do you call yourself mm. in um, that so I, arena? Yeah. So I do not call myself a chef. Ooh. Um, and... <laughs> And when someone does, I like look over my shoulder, like, who are they talking about? Okay. Because to me, that means someone who like runs a restaurant kitchen. Okay. And who's like in a restaurant and sort of cooking professionally in that way. Like I very much consider myself a home cook, like a proud home cook. And what is your... But you can call me whatever you want. No, I I think that was a great answer because I I don't know that. So that's why I asked. And then um, I'm curious to hear more about your background in terms of... Because, like, straight up, your food always looks amazing. Um, and Thank I was you. just saying before we started uh, recording that something that, like, just your social media tells me is that you um, also do a lot of social good with your cooking. Mm-hmm. You, you do some um, some work with organizations in the community where you live very mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah, big time. Um, Project Angel Food, is that what it's called? Um, so it's just called Angel Food, but I think it should be mm. called Project Angel, Angel Food. Angel Food. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I didn't have to look at anything. Do you see that there's no notes? No, that's impressive. I'm I I'm into. Uh, it seems like you. I, I I like your life. Your life seems Whoa. good because you seem like it's like the, that's the dream, right? If you're like, I figured out what I'm good at. I know a way that I can do it to make money, and then I also uh-huh. know a way I can involve myself in the community with that. Yeah. Like that's like the Isn't dream. That- isn't that what you do? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Am I living the dream? <laughs> Shit. Did I just, was I the first to tell you? <laughs> I think you might honestly have been the first person that told me that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I do. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I've been thinking because I've been excited that you asked me to come on the show because I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, I awesome. I think to all of them. And I was just thinking today, I feel like we do such different stuff. I mean, our work is like very different, but I was thinking there are a lot of parallels. Tell me about that. Like Like I think um, 
exactly what you said, like finding something you love to do and getting to do it in a way that like supports you financially, but then also getting to kind of give back to community and trying to kind of gather community wherever you go. That's like definitely something that's really important to me. So um, yeah, I've just been dying to know what you eat when you're on the road. Oh my God. I love this question. Yes. Finally, someone asks the good questions. No, I'm so curious. Um, you know, I got pretty specific about this a couple years ago mm-hmm. because it, it really is, I find as I'm aging and I'm like, I'm still like, I'm a young person. I think I'm 37. I want to do this job for another several decades. Uh-huh. Um, as I'm aging, I find that like your, your bod actually, nobody talks about how much your bod is not suited for touring. Like how touring <laughs> is like, yeah. cause when people travel, um, very often they think of vacation, like, or they're about to take a vacation. Mm-hmm. So they're like getting on a plane, you know, once or twice to go there and back. Um, they're staying in a hotel, but they don't have to necessarily, um, like prepare for work in that hotel. And a lot of mm-hmm. people also travel for work. I know that you do, uh, to, to promote your cookbooks. You also yeah. go on tour, but, um, yeah, food on the road. It's like, you can't make silly decisions. I ate a lot of my rider my contract the thing that is uh-huh. um what's in there is uh several pieces of fresh fruit four pieces of okay. fresh fruit uh six bottles of still water six bottles of star- sparkling water two avocado rolls an order of edamame because they have sushi everywhere but you can't trust the yeah. fish everywhere uh, um you're so vegetarian right i no? have recently started as i had a tough year this year um how i went wild was i started eating fish as a uh, as a I want form to. of rebellion <laughs> no judgment against the man um yeah. but yeah anyway eight avocado rolls and um then i usually have something like popcorn a bag of it that i could take with me because i usually find them also starving after shows oh not with you on stage Mm-mm, with no, you when no. you leave got it okay. yeah um and then when i eat at restaurants i eat a lot of like uh I don't know, salads and eggs, classic uh-huh. salads and eggs. Yeah, that's fine. Do What happens if um, the food that they provide for you backstage, if you don't consume all of it? Uh, you can take you it with you or the it? staff can eat it. Yeah. Um, or the other thing is sometimes they don't, sometimes there's like a mess up and they don't have anything back there. And then those are tough nights because it's like you get done at a weird time and you're trying to figure out what's open. Yeah. Um, so then that's why you're like really hopeful that you had popcorn last night, that you can still mm. have the bag on this mm-hmm. night. I totally understand. But it's like thing it's things like that that you can replicate easily. Um but it's not that's not like, that's not like a great way to live in terms yeah. of food. Like it doesn't make yeah. you feel it doesn't make you feel great emotionally. It might be yeah. okay physically, but it doesn't make you feel great emotionally. What yeah. do you eat when you travel? So I always feel like such a hypocrite because I'm going around talking about, you know home cooking and sort of talking about my cookbooks, which are all about the power of home cooking and making you feel really comfortable to do that and talking about all these meals that I love and the people I love to eat with. And then I'm like alone in a hotel room with like a light beer and like nuts. So yeah, I totally, everything you're saying, I really understand big time. So tell me about was there a time I, – I have so many questions. I don't even know which yeah. place to start. Um, did you grow up in a cooking household? 
I did not. No, me neither. Mm-hmm. Actually, well, I mean, I was cooking from a very young age, but me too. No actually, no I mean, not. I, I didn't end up getting as good at it as you are, but uh, me too. I was I like mean, the person cooking. So <laughs> yeah, I was the person cooking in We're my house. Things. Yeah. What? How did you get started? If no one else was cooking, I was just. I've always been interested in food. Well. I also don't know exactly what age you are, but I will say when you're mm-hmm. 37, that means you grew up in the era of like uh, fad dieting was extremely strange at that time because oh, yeah. it was like the zenith of processed food with things removed where like oh, yeah. since then fad dieting has looked a lot of different ways, like all meat or like like a caveman or whatever. But like mm-hmm. in the 90s, it was like the worst food, like yeah. just in terms of it wasn't food. It was like fake. Like super processed. Yeah. So yeah. I'm um, 33. You and so my you wife caught some age. of that. Yeah, definitely. And my mom um, was, my mom, like, I mean, this is her story to tell, but like super fad dieter. Every diet there was, she tried. And like, I very much grew up in a house with like imitation everything and just yep. like looking so hard to find the real thing. Right. I actually can <laughs> believe it's not butter. I actually can believe that. Despite what it says in the packaging, I actually can believe this isn't butter. Because I've sprayed I, it onto this potato. <laughs> I just, I feel that so deeply. Absolutely. Yeah, so, but so I cooked since I was tiny because I think that, and so my parents worked full time when they weren't eating like snack wells. Snack wells, <laughs> yes. Or like a low fat hostess brownie. Oh Keep going. Gosh. Yeah, and so I, I don't know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I think a lot of my pull towards the kitchen was to kind of create the kind of sense of of family and home and security and like comfort and all those things that I wasn't actually completely experiencing. So I think that was a big pull to the kitchen. I also, my maternal grandparents, who I never met, they would both be like 120 or something if they were alive. Um, But they were immigrants I mean, really, they were sort of refugees to this country. And then they opened a bread bakery in Brooklyn, and my mom grew up in the bakery. So I very much feel something kind of in a, like, hereditary genetic type of way, like, in my bones about wow, that's, kind of cooking. That's pretty cool. Even though I never knew them, and I wasn't, like, in the bakery. So, but I feel like there's something there. There, That seems right. Yes. Yeah. Nothing is created or destroyed. We're re- we are recycled molecules. So I believe that. There you yes. go. Okay. So you were like a little kid finding the kitchen. What else Mm -hmm. were you like? Like just as a person? I was, um, (laughs) I think, I I think I was a very, uh, I was like myself. I think I was totally like who I was before I knew to judge that in any way. And I feel like I kind of feel like I sort of peaked maybe around like age six or so. There's like a photo of me in this like amazing like blazer with gold buttons and like acid wash jeans. And I just look really just in charge and confident. Um, So yeah, that was like definitely part of my childhood. I also think I was like a really serious kid. Like I don't think I was like having that much fun. Like I was very serious, um, which I think is fine. But I just in looking back, I just thought something that stands out to me a lot. Like I took things really seriously. Um, and I just, I sort of, I feel like in many ways, like I kind of felt the weight of the world at a really young age. Did so. you, did you already say this? Did you have sibs? Did you have siblings? I have an older brother. Okay. Yes. Older biologically. Got it. 
the you weight of the world on your shoulders. And my brother child. all the same age. Yes, yes. got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I felt, I felt, I was a pretty serious kid too. Mine was like a lot of, I think stems from faith in my particular case. Mm. Do you know where, what, where it comes from for you? Like innate personality or um, so I family think- stuff? Yeah, no, it's so interesting because I've heard you talk so much about your upbringing and the Catholicism and everything. And yeah. I grew up in a, like a Jewish New York liberal family, lots of bagels on the weekends, all that. Um, but we weren't like a very religious family. But I think the, I mean, honestly, the thing my parents practiced more than anything was work. Like I grew up in a home with um, parents who were very much so devoted to work and we're like total kind of like workaholics. So I think maybe that's where a lot of the seriousness I think came yeah. from of just being like really committed to what you're doing. And um, yeah, they, my parents met at work. My mom hired my dad. Fun fact. Oh my God. That's a, wait. In what, in what field do they work in? <laughs> uh, in magazines. Um, so my mom was a, she was an art director. She hired my dad as a graphic designer. He's nine years younger than her. Another fun fact. I like everything you're saying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so much of my parents' relationship is about the fact that they just literally work so well and so much together. Um, so like work was always kind of at home and it was, you know, I'm not that old, but it was like before everyone had like a laptop and a cell phone and stuff. So, and my dad kind of jokes about being like a, a graphic designer and stuff and like literally cutting and pasting. Um, so they would on weekends, like bring home just like piles of papers and they were always making, they were making magazines and books and the stuff that I, you know, I now make. So I was very much like exposed to that stuff at a young age, um, which made me kind of know that it was, it was possible mm. to make this stuff. Like I knew that that was a career. Like I wanted to work on cookbooks since before I can remember. And it's sort of how I taught myself how to cook. Like I wow. devoured cookbooks. I was like serious in my blazer and with my pile of cookbooks. Yes. That I take to yes. So, yeah. That was me. You know, that's I interesting. I also wonder, like, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I'm thinking about like, especially because of the dynamic that you just said, your mom being like further along or the boss and, and, mm -hmm. and everything that that would have meant. Like it still means that, but like mm -hmm. then minus 33 years or whatever from now, like, that means you have to hold it together pretty hard. I think so often about the demands that are put on women who are trying to have any power. Like you have to have mm -hmm. this type of outward personality, but you can't have this one. And But you have to, you know, it's just, it's a lot of triangulating, which I'm yeah. sure you were also just around as a kid. That's like yeah. a lot to have. Like she's just trying to do her job, but <laughs> culture makes that a, a, a tiny, yeah. you know, pinhole. So yeah, I'm sure that's, sure. you know, I'm sure that's a pressury thing for her or would have been a pressury thing for her. Yeah, I think in ways that she's now only coming to really understand. Mm. Both my mom and I are big fans of therapy. And oh, me we too. Have been, yeah, so we've been talking a lot to each other kind of about this stuff. And she's like kind of newly retired, but she's like fake retired. Like she's the busiest retired <laughs> person I've ever met. But I think she's kind of, I feel like I shouldn't speak for my mom, but I feel like she's at this point in her life where she has an opportunity to look back on all this and see it in a way that she never could when she was in it. Like yeah. sometimes you have to take yourself out of something to get it. So, well, yeah. And also like time has actually created a little bit more space for context yeah. too. Yeah. Um, you taught yourself using cookbooks. And cookbooks then on public television. Cookbooks and, <laughs> cookbooks yeah, and public television. Yeah, big time. 
Big time. It's a lot of like lamb chop to learn how to make <laughs> lamb chops. I'm just, this is a stupid joke, but I've made it. Oh my God. Um, I like it. Okay. Like Julia Child? Yeah, Julia Child. Um, I would watch, there was also this show on the Discovery Channel called Great Chefs. Mm. Um, and I would, it was on, I believe, at 4 p.m. And every day when I came home from school, I would watch it every single day. Um, I watched, yeah, all these people on public TV. I watched, because it was, I was a kid kind of right before the Food Network started. Right. So I sort of, you know. Um, there was a dude on yeah. public television too. Who was that guy? I can't remember his name, but anyway. Oh, Whatever. so many. There's the Galloping Gourmet. <laughs> right. so yes. many. Just characters, total characters. Yes. People who, I'm like, would they put them on TV today? I'm not sure. Well, no, because like chefs kind of got hot. It's like, it's like the, like they weirdly shifted to like, l- oh, like yeah. large biceps <clears throat> as opposed to like white, bald headed, you know, like a uh, ring of hair on the sides mm-hmm. kind of look, which oh, I yeah. feel like is what chefs were looked like before. Um, and it was like, it was about the food. It wasn't about the person so much. Oh yeah, exactly. I guess it's, it is yeah. called a personality now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Oh, good time. You've made a good point. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you go to schooling wise? Mm-hmm. What happened there food wise? Um, or so non-food wise? Or yeah, I never went to culinary school. Um, and I, you know, because I was serious in my blazer with my cookbooks, I love school. And I was kind of as devoted to being a student as I was to cooking. Um, and I loved language and um, reading it and writing it. And I uh, went to liberal arts college and I was an English major. And I studied poetry, <laughs> um, which I kind of think... I've really like rationalized it because it was really, it was a very expensive education, but I feel like it has served me so well because I treat every single recipe I write like it's a poem because it's like, it's this really, it's like a set form um, and you have to be very economic, but you also have to be really descriptive and all this stuff. So I kind of, I feel like I really use my, my poetry education. Plus sometimes it's just centered on the page. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To a poem. Look, mm-hmm. you don't have to sell this. Sell me on this. I think you paid. I think you paid good money for the right. I think you've prepped yourself well. Thank um, you. Cool. That that makes a lot of sense. You then what happened next? Um. So I so I went to school in Manhattan. I went to Barnard. So mm-hmm. I went to an all women's college, um, which I loved. I wasn't told I wasn't really out in school, which I feel like was a real missed opportunity. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know, I was just too busy writing. Eh, there's always reunions. Terrible food yeah. Plans, so, yeah. Um and then when I was in college, since I was in New York, um, and I knew so much what I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to work on cookbooks. Um, and I grew up I feel like I need to be very like honest about like growing up with parents who worked in publishing. So it was I feel like I had a very um you know, like I worked hard, but I think I had a probably easier time than most in the food community, kind of getting my foot in the door. Um, so I interned at a food magazine. I interned for a cookbook um, author. I interned for a guy who produced uh, food shows for television. I guess I kind of worked for them sort of part time. And um, yeah, I was just kind of in school writing these terrible food poems, um, but really enjoying it. (laughs) But like having a really great time at school, like I really loved my, um, my experience there and then working, um, and working kind of in the food media world, sort of, yeah, books, TV, magazines, this kind of stuff. And, um, right when I graduated college, the guy I had been, uh, working for part-time 
who produced food shows for actually public television, he hired me right when I graduated to be um, an assistant uh, to a, a, a writer who's going to write the companion book for a PBS travel show about food um, and, and cooking and all this stuff. And so it was in Spain. Um, and I basically got like a one-way ticket to Spain and it was with all these like well-known people. And it's the kind of job I would never say yes to now. Cause I had no idea what I was signing up for. Um, like I didn't know when I was coming home, I didn't know where we were going. Like I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Um, but I was like a newly graduated, very hardworking English major. So I like brought all these notebooks and I just took all these notes and like ended up essentially getting to kind of write that book and see it through because the guy I was working for left the project. So that was like kind of hit the ground running. Wow. I think it's amazing that you, I mean, yes, I hear you that you're saying that you feel like you have to be kind of honest about uh, your parents working in publishing and that like giving you a, mm. you know, foot in the door or whatever. That's good. Yeah. Be honest about that. I think that's fair. I also think that it's uh, unusual or exceptional that you had such a clear idea so young and then also yeah. were able to capitalize on so many opportunities because you could be like somebody's kid and not really know what you want to do with being somebody's kid. Oh, yeah. And you can yeah. also be somebody's kid, know what you want to do with that and then like suck at it. <laughs> so, so there, you know, there is, there is that to say where it's yeah. like, sometimes it's almost even, you know, couldn't go the other way where it's like, yeah. well, I, I know, I know how I got this job, so mm-hmm. I better not fuck this up or phone this yeah, in yeah. because other people didn't get this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I very like, I don't know. I think I, I feel like this is something you do in your work a lot. Um, it's something Grace and I talk about a lot and I try to do in my work. Like I feel very, it just, like I think about privilege all the time and I think about oppression all the time. And I think about ways in which I can use my privilege to afford it to other people as much as possible. So if it's, you know, someone opens the door for me, I am just, you know, consciously holding it open for the next person always like that feels really important to me. Yeah. I mean, I could see that and the stuff that, that I've seen from your work. So project angel food, From project angel food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Writing, uh, when did you, when did you write your first book? Okay. So I, so then, yeah. So the Spain thing, and then I worked with. You're in Spain. You never came back. You got a one way ticket. I don't even know how we're speaking to each other. Because they don't have um, the internet. In I did. No. I got to come home eventually, <laughs> uh, and then I worked. Um, very long story short, I worked on a bunch of other cookbooks with other people, either as a co-author or as a collaborator. Collaborator, a hard word to say. And I did that. I was also working as a private chef um, because I was not able to make enough money writing to like rent an apartment and pay an iPhone bill <laughs> in New York. Yeah, and sure. All things. Um, So I worked a lot as a private chef, which basically means working for kind of wealthy people cooking in their homes, which means- Is that like for parties or is that like for Mm. um, like dinner? Like like are you making them dinner or are you making like their friends dinner and it's Christmas? (laughs) I have done like the whole range, um, which like on the most kind of um, my preferred way to do it, I haven't done it in a while, but my preferred thing is when someone hires me to basically come to their house- 
and cook all this food and then leave it in their fridge as if they went to a prepared food store, but it's like prepared specifically oh, for wow. them. Um, and that's really nice because I can just like listen to my music and cook and like no one's bothering me. And I'm wow. usually like in a really beautiful place. So that's great. Um, and then I've done, I feel like the other end of the extreme is like I have full on like lived with families and done like breakfast, lunch and dinner, like, you know, at their fancy summer home type of thing. Um, so I never did it full, full time. I would do it like the longest I would do is like a month or so, which is a lot. A month living I mean, with people, yeah, cooking them yeah. breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, but I think it made me like, that is probably the time in my life when I would say, if you call me a chef, that would be okay. Mm. <laughs> um, cause I feel like I was being paid to like prepare food. So, um, and so yeah, that was like a really interesting time in my life, but I also feel like it really made me, um, it made me a better cook. It made me a faster cook. And I also kind of, without anyone asking me to, I'm, I kind of set a challenge for myself that unless someone asked me to repeat something, I would always make something new. Um, so I could kind of keep it creative. And I was always sort of keeping notes kind of to myself, which basically just look like sending myself emails <laughs> that I would like <laughs> put into a folder um, of these things I was making like over the years. Because <clears throat> when you work, you know, in someone's home cooking for them, you know, people want food that kind of comforts them. You know, they're, they're paying you to cook in their home to make them even more comfortable. I mean, it's the most luxurious of luxurious things. Uh, but they're not you know, looking for restaurant food because they can afford to go to any restaurant they want. Or if they are, you know, I'm not the private chef, you're going to hire. Like I made tons of like meatballs and uh, garlic bread and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I basically feel like I got to have this period of time where I got to be super creative and not spend my own money on the food. So I feel like I really like used it to my advantage. I have so many questions about yeah. this. Like here are some of yeah, the other questions. Gosh. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Um, was it like, you started working for one person and then like that person's friends all knew about you and then suddenly yeah, blah, blah, blah. Much. Like, is that yeah. how it went? Yeah. A lot of it all, my whole career, like cookbooks and private chefing, like I have never sent anyone a resume, like all word of mouth. Mm. Um, so basically this is a long answer to say I worked on all these other cookbooks with other people. I worked as a private chef and then I got to the point where I kind of felt like I, um, I had enough material and enough um, meaning both recipes and stories to put out my own book. And I felt like I had something to share in a very oversaturated market. But I just believe that to be true, that I had, um, you know, stories and recipes that I thought other people might enjoy. So my first cookbook that was just my own um, came out in the September of 2016. So yeah, not too long ago. And I had worked on, I don't know the exact number, but like maybe 10 other books before mm -hmm. my own. Um, and I still do a lot of co-authoring and collaborating. And I, as we talked about the house I grew up in, like, I just, I, I love working um, and I love making cookbooks. And so I'm always looking for a mix of, of projects. The recipes that you were making as a private chef that then eventually you were like, you know, putting together and making this book and all mm -hmm. that, like where are those coming from this brain or reading it, making alterations, making it a thousand times, mm -hmm. figuring out this works better. Yeah. Like how, I don't even know how any of that works. Yeah. How does a recipe come to be? Yeah. Well, especially if you like, didn't go to yeah. culinary school and yeah. I'm not saying, but I just mean like, yeah, I'm curious as to where yeah. you're calling from. So I will answer that question, but it also makes me feel like, how do you come up with a joke? Oh, I have <laughs> the answer to that like, though. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 
So for me, it is, um, I, I, I was just said I'll give you an answer. I don't really know the answer. It comes mm. from everywhere. Um, most of the recipes I write in my own books, uh, they're based so much on like a sense of kind of nostalgia and like things I loved when I was growing up. Um, and like really just, um, I feel like I make really comfortable food. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm influenced from everywhere. Like I've gotten to work on all these books from all different restaurants and parts of the world. So, you know, I like, I have lots of like Korean ingredients in my kitchen because I worked on a Korean cookbook and I worked on a Vietnamese cookbook and I worked on like a, a, a bakery that does breads from all over the world. And so I got to like immerse myself in all these things when I worked on these books and so my food is like pretty eclectic and like slightly all over the place. But I think the thing that all my recipes have in common is that they are written by a home cook who's always thinking about other home cooks. And to me, that means like, if you can use one bowl for something, I'll never tell you to use two. Like, <laughs> I don't want to wash another bowl. Um, and like, if I can't get I now live in a very rural area. If I can't get an ingredient, like within like half an hour of my house, like I'll give you, it probably won't be in my recipe. And if it is like, I'll tell you where you can get it or what you can use instead, or, you know, why I think it's worth seeking out. Um, so I feel like I write really like, yeah, comfortable recipes that anyone can make. And I like really hold people's hands. Not that everyone needs that, but I just like, I know that feeling of feeling like, oh, I want to make this thing and I'm not, I don't really know how to follow these instructions and this doesn't feel really clear. And then when it doesn't turn out, you feel like you did something wrong. Like that is the worst feeling and I never want anyone to feel that way. Wow. I wonder if that, like that's a, it's not like, it's not like I think other people are being jerks, but that's a heavy amount of compassion to put in to cookbook writing. I think you know, like, because it's interesting to think about. I mean, I all the time when I make this show, basically the whole reason I wanted to have this show to begin with is I, I wanted to have a reason that I could, like, kind of cold call people yeah. that were interesting that were queer yeah. folks and be like, would you like to have a friendship conversation? Mm -hmm. um, and this is a great excuse. So, um, um, yeah. I so get it. And it's the same <laughs> with food. Like, at a party, like, yeah. if you like have food you can go up to anyone that's totally right you know? yeah like, exactly like when yeah. I was in college I because in high school I never did anything social because I was like too busy like well first of all I was very involved with student government which I took very seriously me too <laughs> what did you do on student government oh my god everything sure yeah I, was, I, I feel very like fundraisers like, dances planning oh, yeah. it all oh I mean I didn't attend the dances but I helped Involved, you set them up? But, you didn't attend them? No, no. I would stay home and like watch Sex in the City with my dad. Um, but I, I was student body president. Oh, sure. So, yeah, really, like really involved. Um, and I don't know, I'm feeling like shy about telling you that. But if Grace was sitting next to me, she would tell you that's like my favorite fact to tell about myself. Is that your student body president? <laughs> I like bring it up a lot. That's no, like really I think it's, I think it's a, actually like, no, I don't think it's embarrassing. I think it's rad. You know, so, I, oh. Well, I was, oh, I was telling you that because yeah, I never did anything social in high school. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I was either cooking or I guess governing. Yeah. governing. <laughs> and, then, and then when I got to college, I was like, oh, I like want to try and have fun. I don't really know how to do that, but I want to try. So I'd go to parties with my friends, but then I didn't know how to talk to people 
like what to say, even though I was like, I was like comfortable in this leadership role, but not in like a social way. So then I would buy a bag of potato chips before I went to every party, because then I could go up to anyone like, hey, you want a chip? And then all of a sudden you have a conversation. By the way, I would like to recommend to all the queeros listening that you try this method. I've never heard of yeah, it before, it's but it seems foolproof, foolproof. <laughs> and affordable. And everyone yes. loves chips. They're vegan. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You anyone. This is a great idea. Well, all of this. Okay, so I'm hearing I'm hearing a story about somebody who's like very self directed from an extremely young age, super scheduled, planned out, like knows exactly what they want, is going after it. All this, blah blah blah. Um, I also happen to know from being a human that has met you and from our context of just knowing each other, about each other to begin with, that you are also a married person, that you're somebody in a yeah. relationship. <clears throat> and, um, you know, like love is impossible to plan and mm-hmm. it's, impo- it's also kind of really difficult to seek out in a way that yeah. can have like clear results. So I'm imagining somebody like you with all the ways that you were in the world, like what happened when you started to date? How did that go down? Oh my gosh. Um, so first of all, your reasoning for doing the podcast, I just want to tell you as someone who's right now in the experience of being on it, I, what you're also offering is like amazing free therapy sessions. Awesome. <laughs> so thank well, you it's for great. that. <laughs> It's no, just, I, I it's, mean it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so I, One semester oh social God. work school. I don't <laughs> mind using it. <laughs> it's more than I got culinary education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there it is now. Um, so I, yeah, dating. Oh my God. I was such a disaster. I was such, such a disaster and very like falling for people. I kind of knew things would never work out with. Um, I think very much so that it never, I never had to actually be like vulnerable. Um, And then, you know, very much at arm's length, uh, but very like, like I wanted something, like I wanted a relationship. Um, And then, as you said, I'm a married person. And when I met my wife, Grace, who you have had on your show um, and who it's just the best. And I know I'm biased, but she really is. No, Grace, Grace Bonnie is who we're talking about. And I hope you don't mind me saying yeah. that, but that she has oh, been on the podcast. No, She's awesome. Yes, so yeah, go listen yeah. to that episode after this episode and be like, whoa, there cool. you go. Yeah. Um, and I, my, like, yeah, my whole life just turned not upside down. It just like started spinning and turning and like moving in this way that it never had. And I feel like she, um, like, I, you know, I have all those stupid, Thing, like puzzle pieces, whatever, like missing, you know, the gap inside of me, you know, oh, that sounds really sexual. Oh, you know what? Anyway, like, look, the podcast, you can't see that I'm very red. Actually, and also like, it's the, the Google Hangout is like just a, it's like just grainy enough that I can't even see that you're very red. So I just want you to know that you are protected by um, like, not just people listening to this medium, but also the limitations of technology. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, But no, Grace, meeting Grace, just like everything just clicked. And that was kind of that. And I feel like, I mean, I had dated, I had like, you know, I had tried. I had like, oh, my other tip for your listeners. Yes, please. Because I was just telling a friend about this because she's kind of struggling to like meet someone. And I was like, you have to have the one drink rule. She was like, what are you talking about? And so obviously this can be alcoholic or not, whatever you like. But I, because I lived in New York City for 
my like all my adult life until Grace and I moved out of the city a few years ago. And so I used to frequent, um, you know, gay bars and would go by myself because I felt like if I went with a friend, then I'm just talking to my friend, which is fine. And that's like a nice reason to go. Um, but if I was like trying to meet someone, I was like, I'm going to go sit at the bar and have one drink. And if I'm not talking to someone by like the end of my beer or whatever it is, like I'll go home. And all I've done is like had one drink and it's not a big deal. This is, a, it, this is, a, wow. I feel like you are full of wisdom. Um, I like sitting at the bar, sitting at the bar is yeah. a cool, is like a cool, uh, well, first of all, it's the only way to actually do what you're talking about. I think it's very difficult and overwhelming to walk into a gay bar and not have like a focus. Cause then it's like, well, if you're there by yourself, you don't have a friend, then -hmm. you're just in space. Like it's like, there's, there's nothing anchoring you. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like, I feel like going to Ikea, like you need to know what you are there to get. That's right. Otherwise you're just lost. Yeah. 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 So I think the bar can be a helpful, you're right. It's like sitting can be a helpful thing or, um, finding like a tall table to lean on or whatever that can be helpful. Um, also, like, I'm pretty impressed that you were going. I I think your reasoning is right, but I'm still impressed that that's like a choice that you were making because I think it can be really hard to just go out and try to meet people like that. I mean, that's like a very good way to meet people, but I'm kind of shy sometimes. I think that's yeah. that's. I like this plan. How often were you doing this? I'm trying to oh, think about uh, me like psyching myself yeah. up to do what you're talking about. I don't know. I feel like. So I used to, in all my, like, working with other people in their books and um, private chefing, I used to travel all the time. Yeah. Um, like, I would be gone for, like I mentioned, like a month at a time or something like that. So I would say when I was home um, in New York City, I also lived downtown, um, kind of, like, on the west side for most of, I moved, I feel like lots of people who live in New York, you end up moving around all the time. But I basically lived in a series of studio apartments that were all downtown on the west side. Um, so I was close to some of these venues. Where would you go? Um, what were they? Name them. Many. Name I don't them. know why I'm being so cagey. Um, Cubbyhole. And then for a little while, there was the Dalloway, which was like I've never been to that one. I only but recently I went closed. to Oh, yeah. I've Did never opened No, oh, I've, I've never been to that one before it closed. Um, yeah. I only recently... Uh, made Kathy too, who mm-hmm. <laughs> who is one of the co-hosts of Nancy. Uh, yeah, made not made her. I didn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I made her. I suggested that we go on a pub crawl of the Cubby Hole. She was on your show talking about this, or you were on hers. Oh, I think I was on her show talking about okay. this. I don't think I we've talked about this on Query, but you're okay. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We went to the Cubby Hole. We went to. Um, Stonewall and, and we went to Henrietta Hudson. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the Henry cubbyhole scared me a little. It I feel like I didn't fit in. Did seem a little like in there uh, for lack of cubbyhole a... is just like a real like it's got a special place in my heart. That was packed in there. Oh well, it's tiny. Yeah, I liked it. It was um, great. Four people could be in there, and it. Feels I will bad. say though, like I was yeah. a little pissed off because I was in there for um I don't even know like one whole hour, and I was only um approached like twice, and so truly like I well, I can accept my own limitations in terms of like what I've been able to achieve career wise, but I do want to say to the lesbians in New York City, um, what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe they were just intimidated. Maybe <laughs> you went with someone. You didn't go by yourself. Ah, fine, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, so I would go there. I don't know when I was home. Maybe like once a week or something. And then there's all other things 
happening in Brooklyn. But at that point in my life, so when I met Grace, I moved in with her. She lived in Brooklyn, but I, I was a real Manhattan snob. I was mm. like, I'm never leaving the island. I, I just kind think of you've, close to home. you've given some practical advice on like how to st- start dating people. If you don't have a ton of experience with that and you're queer, I love how thoughtful you are about that. That was, that's really awesome. And then you meet Grace, you move in. Mm-hmm. How did you, well, had you, cause you said also studio apartments. Had you recently had roommates even like, I mean, even, people you lived not, with not in my I feel like my like going to cubby hole years mm-hmm. I'm trying to think no I lived alone I'm my just my first year out of college I lived with a friend of mine from school and then yeah otherwise I lived alone and had you lived with a partner prior to no. Grace if you don't mm-hmm. mind me asking so no. how did you approach that change um oh, I think I actually um am one of those people where I've like lived with a bunch of partners. Um, and it started like early enough in my life that I then later didn't think it was such a big deal, but I have like mm-hmm. a lot of friends who like, it's like, if you didn't do it for this period of time, then it like you become an adult, you're a little more set in your ways. Like yeah. I kind of went from like roommates to partners yeah. to then briefly living alone, but it's very different to be like, I live alone yeah, and now I'm yeah. Moving into that's a really good question. Yeah. Living. I and I was very um I really loved living alone and mm-hmm. felt sure I there's lots of living alone. Yeah. And um and to this day I feel like one of the compliments that Grace and I give each other, which might sound funny, but as two women who like really love their alone time and like independence, like we often we'll say to each other that like being with each other feels as good as feeling as being alone. Oh my <laughs> God. Like, I love me, that like, compliment. I, I love it. Like it, I really like mean it. And I feel like it kind of, I think says a lot about like we, so we're now I'm jumping ahead, which is to say we like very much live together from the moment we met. I mean, we had a real like super stereotype U-Haul moment. Like we're kind of still on our first date. Like I just never left. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Arrived and then, like, had to break up the check for this very long date. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's to be debated. Okay. Um, or we're going Dutch. I don't know. I'm trying to make a joke, but I'm not gonna. You're the joke. The joke person. <laughs> Grace would laugh at me so much because whenever I try to like, when I try, I feel like I'm kind of funny, but when I like try to make a joke, I like really just embarrass myself. But anyway, so I went from. <laughs> Like very being like fiercely independent, living alone, like love my studio apartment to meeting Grace and then just instantly feeling like, of of course, we're living together and we're getting married and like it all happened really, really fast. And I, um, I, I think that transition, I feel like we had a bit of a transition with that, but of just kind of getting used to each other and kind of sharing space, but, um, I don't know. It was a really like positive one. Like, I feel like there weren't that many like logistical kind of bumps in the road. We just, I feel like we were like, I mean, we still are in many ways, but I feel like the very beginning of our relationship, we were so like drunk in love, like that it just felt like 
it might seem a little irrational now when I think about how quickly we lived together and got married and all those things, but it felt like the most rational, most right thing in the world. Like I never, ever imagined getting married. It wasn't anything I ever fantasized about or like, I wasn't against it. I just like, didn't see that for myself. And then I met Grace and all I could see was just being married to her. So it felt like a very easy decision. Do you think I mean, any, it's like a huge decision? But. Yeah, it is. It is. Was any of that impacted by queerness? Like, I mean, the mm. not necessarily being able to I mean, see yeah. like a like, oh, this is what my marriage would look like, or whatever. Mm. Oh yeah, I mean, I like you know, it's interesting you ask that because I I think so maybe because you know I grew up in a home where like I was you know as exposed as I was to like the publishing industry. I also like knew lots of gay people when I was growing up because mostly because my parents worked in like a creative industry in New York, like before I was born, you know, in the seventies and eighties. And then I grew up in that, like in the nineties. Um, so I was always around a lot of gay people, but pretty much white gay men. Um, and I saw what that partnership looked like. Like I had so many examples of that. Um, and like, I knew that was a possibility, but like, I didn't, I definitely didn't see myself reflected, like in the world I grew up in. Um, Do you know what that yeah. looked like that you did see? Like if, and it, I understand that I'm actually mm-hmm. asking you to like speak in stereotypes, but I'm just curious about like what it would have meant or seemed like to you to be yeah. like an adult gay person. If you're seeing these partners, you know, like what, what, what messaging, what were you getting? Yeah, I think the, like the men in relationships that I saw or like the gay men who weren't partnered, but that I knew as a kid. Um, I feel like I saw a lot of like, yeah, I think it sounds maybe stereotypical, but like I saw a lot of like nice apartments (laughs) and like nice um, food and clothes and all these, you know, these strappings of like a, um, of a really kind of like nice material life for sure. Like I think I was like, definitely exposed to that. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, there's an interesting kind of conversation going on in the food world about like, is there such a thing as queer food? Um, and I don't really have an answer to that. Like, I don't think there really is, but like, I do think a lot of it comes from like the legacy of like gay men in the food world. Um, like, which there's, I mean, this is like a whole other topic, but like a lot of gay men have been responsible for some of the biggest things that we just as consumers of, of food in this country, like have come to be drawn to. Um, Wait, can we, can yeah. we like actually break this down a little bit sure. more? Yeah. Um, okay. So can you give me examples or an mm-hmm. example one? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Also, I was thinking too, in anticipating your podcast, because I am a fan and listen to so much that there are so many queer people in food who like you should totally talk to. Like amazing, I amazing can't people. Wait. I can't I wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, so have you heard of the James Beard Awards? Yeah. Like James Beard Award winning yeah. restaurant. Whatever. Yep. Um so, yeah, they're like the quote unquote like Oscars of the food world. Restaurants get them, um, you know, people who write about food, whatever. And so James Beard was a person um, and he was like a, yeah, he was a big gay man, um, like a large guy. And I, to this day, just find it. So I get like almost kind of like, just like, I don't want to say irrational, but slightly like irrational thrill knowing how many kind of like straight cis macho guys who have like won James Beard awards because they're actual medals that they give out. 
like the Olympics. And they wear this man's like face around their chest, like on a ribbon. And they're so proud. And I'm like, I just want you to know that's a gay man. So yes. Yeah. Fam. Family. And and Craig Claiborne, who kind of ran the, um, the dining section of the New York times, like as that sort of section was growing and growing and getting as much prominence as it had, um, he was also a gay man. So it's like these men who kind of sort of made, I would say like American food and like the way we talk about it and um, criticize it and celebrate it. And like all these things that we see as like, quote unquote, like good or um, worthy, you know, it was coming through like a gay lens, like very much. And I think it's just really interesting. And I feel like um, yeah, there's a lot of like interesting queer stuff in the food community, but some food for thought. Wow. That is really interesting. Yeah. So I saw a lot of like, I didn't, you know, grow up with knowing James Beard or anything like that, but like, I feel like I saw a lot of, um, kind of like gay men who like love to throw a dinner party. Like I had like a lot of that experience. Maybe you don't know this. So mm-hmm. like, if you don't, was he out in the time, James Beard, like out so- at the there's this guy who you should talk to, John Birdsall, who's like this awesome writer who's writing a biography about mm. him. And I, from what I understand, so I could be wrong, I think that he wasn't out publicly like writing about it, sure. but I think people knew. That thing. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. like middle thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, got it. That's interesting. Also, I guess this also, you know, I mean, this of course makes me think of, and you were sort of getting at this too, that, you know, when we think about queer culture and like, is there, you know, queer food or whatever that so many queer people are left out of what is like refined into Mm -hmm. the pearls that like we leave that we easily you know pick up how white that is how cisgender that is so that Mm -hmm. that also makes me think about like man i bet there's like there is i there is queer food, right? Because there's like brunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's so funny because that's but, so fun. I feel like there is a like there's a definite queer spirit to mm. certain types of food. Because to me, like a type of food is so much defined by geography. Like mm. here are the ingredients we grow in this place, sure. and here are the like cultural traditions and rituals we also you know do in this place that inform what we eat. Um. And I feel like, you know, the queer community is everywhere. (laughs) Um, So we're not defined by geography, but I think there is a certain type of spirit, which I think comes from the kind of chosen family um, feeling. And I feel like with any family, however you define it, it's like the center of most families is like in the kitchen. (laughs) And it's, and I think that we, because, you know, so many people in the queer community, you know, are, you know, have been rejected by the families they grew up in and stuff. I think that feeling of just needing to be taken care of and taking care of each other, like quite literally happens around food, like feeding each other. Um, And I think that kind of generosity of spirit, I think comes through with a lot of um, queer cooks and chefs. And I mean, I can only speak for myself. I know that's a big part of like when I cook for my wife and I cook for community and I like, and I talk about this stuff everywhere I go. Like, I think I can't detangle my identity as a gay woman from my identity as a cook. Like, they're so intertwined. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a couple other things that I would add in there, which is like, um, 
you know, you're a home chef who at the present moment, and this might, I don't even know if I'm like stepping into territory that is loaded because sometimes it can be, but like you're a home chef at the time who doesn't have children in the house. Mm -hmm. And so that also means that you have some time available mm -hmm. to like bring your, I'm a home chef to yeah. um, like the older people in your community that you Absolutely. cook with and for. Yeah. And so I also think when we talk about queerness, you know, we, it's not like, of course, there are of there have always been um, queer families that are raising kids, but because there are also so many of us that aren't, you know, mm -hmm. or that are doing it later or like in a different way, um, that also means that we have like time to invest not just in the queer community, but like, yeah, to be backbones of the communities that we're in, in this like, you know, we're always like the hospice nurses or whatever because yeah. it's like because we have time to be yeah. the hospice nurses it's, and space so to be true. the hospice nurses um and so it's yeah so it, true. yeah so especially if you're i'm like i'm a home chef but like i have two people in my home eventually mm -hmm. that's i'm assuming you don't always only want to cook for two like yeah. you know that you have this generosity of spirit like you're just saying yeah. you'd want to make that a bigger table well, who, who comes to that table exactly. it's a different group of people exactly and just your kids i'm just like i'm not if like laughing but I it's just so crazy that you said that because the other day so Grace and I play the game a lot of like okay if we weren't doing what we were doing and we were to like throw it all away what would we do um and I the other day was just having a moment of like do it like I love working on cookbooks like so much it's been like my whole life but I've also I'm in this like very amazing and privileged position of like having done the thing I've always wanted to do like write my own cookbooks and like do I want to keep doing it? And like, in many ways I do. But then I was also like, what if I just became a hospice nurse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't pulled from nowhere. That's what we do. Look at my search history. No, that's, that is, <laughs> what do you have to do? That's what we do. Yeah. So funny. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, I mean, that's absolutely. Stereotypes are based on real things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah, yeah, they are. I also think about, like, just in terms of what food queer people would make, but then especially, like, queer women or folks that might now identify as non-binary but sort of fall mm -hmm. in that same category of, like, person who goes to a health food, uh, like, sandwich mm -hmm. shop and, mm -hmm. like, how um, those are the same in every city. Like, especially if there's, like, a college and that's like a, like yeah. I travel so much and it's that's like that little like we have um sprouts thing is like everywhere right <laughs> um and that also is you know to me really intertwined with identity because when you think about the decisions like like oh why are there stereotypes that like lesbians or vegans or mm -hmm. vegetarians part of it is like you know a lot of people who are cultured female have been really impacted by <laughs> the people around us for our whole lives. Like we've really mm -hmm. had to like, um, you know, dodge advances or like try to stay safe or like figure out how to make it work with less money, uh, the, you know, yep. the myriad things. And I think that that means sometimes that we end up being people who um, like want to do less harm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in the world. Yeah. And so yeah. like vegetarianism as a political choice is yeah. to do less harm like you know um environmentally and then also to animals and, and things mm -hmm. like that so it's there's also uh 
a thing that can't be separated out there in yeah. terms of like, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, this is something that's like prevalent in our community. Yeah. Like Grace and I are both um, not vegetarians. And so By the way. really bucking the stereotype. Um, but we. Well, have, hang on. How many yeah. like home chefs do you know that are also vegetarians? Like, do you personally know? I'm not saying uh, they don't exist. I also really just like the term home chef. I Me feel too. like we've combined. Oh yeah, home cooks. Home, home cooks. And I'm really into it. Home chef. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's some. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Well, so we I live feel like in vegetarian a vegetarian very... thing is like its own thing. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. What? Yeah, that's a whole other. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. I was just gonna say that we are also very, very um, devoted pet owners, and like one of our big debates all the time is like, oh my god, we love our dogs so much, but we're here eating our roast chicken all the time. Like, is that okay? So that's like our dinner table talk, which I feel like is also stereotypical in its own right. But then you also, I mean, I'm going to make like wild assumptions, but do you get your food from specifically (laughs) good places? Um, Like places that you think, I'm I'm actually asking this uh, because of quality of food that you use in your recipes. Mm -hmm. Do you try to go for like real good shit or do you use whatever? Do you, by good, do you mean like expensive or like no? I mean um, organic or like close to source type of yeah, thing. Yeah. Like you live. I know you happen to live like in a more rural area. I would imagine that means yeah. there's a lot of options to like get place get yeah. food from places that are yeah isn't hasn't been put on a truck yeah for as I would long. say totally like we like I spent all these years in New York City like trying to shop at the farmers market. Now I live like near the farmers. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I try to like you know as much as I can you know buy from farmers and go to farm stands and farmers markets and like buy good quality meat from this reputable place, blah, blah, blah. But I also like go to the normal grocery store all the time, both because I'm a human being and it's convenient. Um, and also because it is, we were sort of talking a little bit about this before, but it feels really important to me that my work and my cookbooks and the recipes within them feel really approachable and that you don't have to live next to the farm and the, you know, artisanal cow to make the whatever like you can make it with kind of everyday ingredients i don't live next to that cow i've never even (laughs) met him (laughs) there's this like field of cows we pass all the time and there's this one like little deer that lives we think it's the same one maybe it's not but we have this running joke about this deer that thinks it's a cow and it's the cutest thing in the world it's so sweet. I really relate to that, dear. Like, I'm serious. When you said that, I felt my first thought was, that's me. That's me. I'm the deer in the field of cows. I'm that deer out there just going, oh, look at us. Bunch <laughs> of cows. <laughs> this has been such an awesome conversation. I, like, loved I loved talking to you. Um, and this flew by. It did fly by. Also, Great, uh, great session. Yeah, great sesh. Well, our time here is almost up. Do you know what I, I recently realized? Um, I'll share something with you that's pretty personal. Is that uh, I never let my therapist actually end a session. Like I'm always Ooh. like I, you know, because they have like the little clocks or whatever. I am always like, well, it looks like your time is up. And I always like jet out of there. I think because yeah. I have a problem um, where I always feel like I'm a burden. So I'm like, I know I'm paying you, but like not a moment yeah. over. But recently, you're going to be very proud of me. Two uh-huh. weeks ago, I my for the first time ever, my therapist had to end the session because yeah. I was just in the moment having an yeah. experience. Isn't that That's great? That's a big deal. 
It That's was. A really big tip. Can I share with you that yeah. I am going to a new therapist tomorrow? Mm. Um, and I've been kind of, well, you don't need the whole backstory. I'm going to a new therapist and specifically I sought out a queer therapist because I've heard you talk so much about what that has meant to you. And I had, it had never in all my years of therapy and talking about queer stuff, it never occurred to me to connect those things, which seems now really obvious. But anyway, I'm going well, tomorrow. So. I feel so, I'm so, I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. No, and I'm so happy to hear that. And I also think that it's like really important anytime you talk about therapy in a public setting or like, maybe I haven't been as good on queer as I wish I had been about this to talk about like, um, I think it's really important to speak to a queer therapist. I also think that sliding scale mm-hmm. therapy is available if, or even like there's like now like apps that you can get yeah, where you can like call in and, folks. Yeah. I think that's all – I mean whatever works for you and your budget. Um, yeah. But I do think that it's one of those things where like because sometimes I know it's a limitation for people, then I'm like, oh, should I even talk about that I get to do this? But mm. then I think – no, because in a perfect world, what I don't want is for none of us to go to therapy. In a perfect world, what I want is for us to all decide that like mental health is really important mm-hmm. and for us to demand that our insurance companies pay for it or whatever. So I um, agree. Anyway, that's why I'm going to continue to talk about it because in my mind, I've yeah. rationalized that removing it and pretending it's not yeah. important is not the I feel answer. like we like acknowledge the privilege, but also I feel like it shouldn't be a privilege. Like there it is. Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, before you That's go. Really, this was a pleasure. Yeah, I loved it. Thank I you. love talking to you. Um, I know you came to my show in Portland and then I didn't get to meet up with you afterwards. But Oh, my God. But can we you were ma- amazing. Can we make I, this a different time? We'll meet up? Yeah. Okay. Come visit the deer in the field of cows. I want to see that deer. And before. I should tell you. Yeah, tell me. Secret? I'm sorry. I know what you're out of time. What is it? No. I don't really like comedy, but I love your comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally I had to tell you. Like, I get really uncomfortable watching it. It's like a weird thing. Hmm. But I think you're so funny, and I love that show. It was oh, great. Thank you. That's really, you know, well, we could go into this. There's a whole other path we could go down here. But one thing I will say is that um, it does ne- It never surprises me when I hear from queer people, women, people of color, anybody who's in a marginalized community, that they don't love comedy. Um, mm. because I think yeah. that so often we've been made to be on like the receiving end mm-hmm. that it's yeah. not just like you're nervous for the comic. I mm-hmm. feel like there's a, a lot of people, I think it, it would be natural to me for somebody to be like, I can't actually relax here. And you have to yeah. be able to relax to enjoy the show. Yeah. So yeah. That's it so doesn't accurate. surprise me that you say that. It never yeah. surprises me. When, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you were great. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, before I send you back into your life, yes. would you like to um, shout out a queero, which is a person or, or thing that made you feel comfortable being who you are today? Absolutely. I feel like I've been preparing yes. for this. Um, so my queero is a chef named Jody Williams. Um, Jody is the best. And she runs a couple of restaurants, including a little tiny restaurant in the West Village in New York called Bouvette. It's like teeny tiny. It's so special. Um, and I got to work with Jody on the Bouvette cookbook. And uh, her now wife, Rita, runs another amazing restaurant around the corner called Isodi. And then together they have a restaurant called Via Caruta, which is like on another corner nearby. And getting to work with Jody on her book and getting to witness her and Rita in their relationship together um, was like, 
so important to me in ways I didn't even realize at the time. And I feel like it was everything we were talking about today. Like it, I feel like I got to see in them a future for myself that looked like something within my reach. And it was like right before I met Grace. And I feel like so much of spending time with them kind of prepared me to be open to what I now have. And and Jody is just the best. And she's so funny. And Rita is amazing. I feel like the two of them together are my queero. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I would like to go to that restaurant. Yeah. Will... Oh, my God. I'll go with you. Okay, good. All right. right. Perfect. We've decided right. what to do. Well, the date. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. And thank you so you much. You too. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was great. Oh, 